the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. I am Seth Liebson. 602-508-0960 is the number. Supreme Court came down with a really important case today on religious freedom. Let me try to go at it this way. We've been asked to try to reestablish a Bill of Rights culture, as one caller put it here, or a culture and notion of constitutionalism, as I like it. Either phrase gets us there. Both are under and have been under tremendous assault. Many of you are familiar with the John Adams letter where he writes, quote, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, close quote. I'm not certain most people know he wrote that to the Massachusetts militia, along with a lot of other beautiful but stern observations about how we Americans must comport ourselves as citizens and soldiers if we want the republic to maintain and survive. It was based on the decency of the people, according to Adams. He put it this way. We can inherit the best wishes of providence, depending on how we comport ourselves, or we will become the most miserable habitation in the world, close quote. The most miserable habitation in the world. Could you imagine? Kind of reminds you of Aristotle's point in book one of the politics we had occasion to quote last week. Man, when perfected, is the best of animals, but when separated from law and justice, is the worst of all. Just so, in his farewell address, George Washington said, quote, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would the man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens, close quote. That was George Washington echoing very much, or not echoing, but uh, adumbrating very much what John Adams would say. You might as well add James Madison to the list since he helped George Washington write that farewell address. And... On top of it, the very first Congress of the United States voted for these very words in reinstituting the Ordinance of 1787, quote, religion, morality and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged, close quote. So why the great antagonism toward a little religion in schools, or at least the right for parents to give their children a religious or religiously infused education? It's not as if it's unconstitutional, is it? You'd think John Adams, George Washington, James Madison, and the very first Congress of the United States might know something about that. What's constitutional, vel non, wouldn't you? And yet, here we are. The First Amendment has two parts relating to religion, what is called the Establishment Clause, which is about the government's approach to religion. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And then the Freedom of Religion Clause, its other face of the same kind, or prohibit the free exercise thereof, the free exercise of religion. But then come the problems. 
Take the phrase separation of church and state. In fact, it's nowhere in the Constitution, and its first use by the Supreme Court in 1947 is what has gotten us into so much trouble here. Let us explain. In that 1947 case, really the first Establishment Clause case that had national implications, it was known as Everson versus Board, uh, Board of Education. Justice Hugo Black wrote for the majority and changed history, literally changed history, forward and backward, by writing the first quote, the First Amendment has erected a wall between church and state. The wall must be kept high and impregnable. We could not approve the slightest breach, close quote. How did the First Amendment, which never used that phraseology of wall and church and state, much less a high and impregnable wall, get in there? And what has it led to? I give you Robert Bork's rendering from a few years ago. The first, uh, he says, the text of the First Amendment is quite simple. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. You would think it's simple. These are not words that would lead the uninitiated to suspect that the law, both regard to religion and with regard to speech, could be what the Supreme Court has made of it in the past several decades. Where religion is concerned, for example, the courts have given us a series of rulings that leads to a state being legally allowed to lend parochial school children geography textbooks that contain maps of the United States but not lend them maps of the United States for use in geography class. A state may lend parochial school children textbooks on American colonial history, but not a film about George Washington. A state may pay for diagnostic services conducted in a, pro- in a parochial school, but therapeutic services must be provided in a different building. At this moment, the most prominent issue involving the religion clauses of the First Amendment stems from the decision of Engel versus Vitale, 1962, and subsequent cases prohibiting prayer, Bible reading, or even a moment of silence in the public schools. In addition to declaring that these are all violations of the First Amendment, the court has held unconstitutional even school practices that are neutral as among different religions on the ground that under the First Amendment, religion may not be preferred to irreligion. Since the vast majority of Americans are believers, these holdings are fiercely resented by most of them as attempts to impose secularism on their children, and school prayer remains a simmering issue. Now, Yeoman's work was done on this by a historian I once knew named Robert Cord. He passed a few years ago, but we were close when he was teaching at Northeastern University, and I was a law student. He was the first to examine this history and wrote several books and law reviews on it, and some of it made it its way into a famous dissent by William Rehnquist in a 1985 case called Wallace v. Jaffrey, about which there is a ton of history, including that that case was argued by uh, U.S. Senator Mike Lee's father, Rex Lee. He was Reagan's solicitor general. Here is some of what Rehnquist wrote based on Robert Cord's work. This phrase, separation of church and state, is from Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist Association, where he wrote, quote, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people, which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, building, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Close quote. Notice immediately one quick thing. Nothing about a wall being high and impregnable, just a wall. More so, Jefferson was of many minds here, 
as president, he signed a law to evangelize the gospel, to pay priests to evangelize the, to the Kaskaskian Indians using public monies. But never mind. Here we are today where two main families wanted to use the public funds for tuition assistance at private schools where those private schools were religious schools. The state of Maine forbade it. Today, the U.S. Sim- the US Supreme Court, 6-3, to three, struck down that forbidding. As Chief Justice John Roberts wrote for the majority today, quote, The state pays tuition for certain students at private schools so long as the schools are not religious. This is discrimination against religion. A state's anti-establishment interest does not justify enactments that exclude some members of the community from an otherwise generally available public benefit because of their religious exercise. He continued, the free exercise clause protects against indirect coercion or penalties over the free exercise of religion, not just outright prohibitions. In particular, we have repeatedly held that a state violates the free exercise clause when it excludes religious observers from otherwise available public benefits. It is too late in the day to doubt that the liberties of religion and expression may be infringed by the denial of or placing of conditions upon a benefit or privilege. A state cannot exclude individuals because of their faith or lack of it from receiving the benefits of public welfare. A state may not withhold unemployment benefits for insistence on the grounds, for instance, on the ground that an individual lost his job for refusing to abandon the dictates of his faith. Any attempt to give effect to such a distinction by scrutinizing whether and how a religious school pursues its educational mission would also raise serious concerns about state entanglement with religion and denominational favoritism. Close quote. Some years ago, Justice Scalia worried that the court could, unrestrained, serve as a, quote, repealer of our nation's tradition of religious toleration, close quote. Great phrase, that, isn't it? A repealer of our nation's tradition of religious toleration. The Constitution is not a suicide pact, Justice Robert Jackson once wrote. One would think it was, given how our courts have treated the First Amendment and religion and education particularly. Our three first presidents and very first Congress got it. Thus, the question becomes to today's court, what took you so long? Well, I give you the progressive movement and a long legacy of junk decisions based on junk thought. I'll close here with this concept. When Justice Robert Jackson said our Constitution was not a suicide pact, his full quote was this, quote, The choice is not between order and liberty. It is between liberty with order and anarchy without either. There is danger that if the court does not temper its doctrinaire logic with a little practical wisdom, it will convert the Constitutional Bill of Rights into a suicide pact. Well, we should tell the Roberts Court today, thank you. Thank you for today's decision. That's, of course, what we should say. We should also thank President Trump for giving us justices that see it the way it should be seen. Three justices helped cobble together this opinion that if Donald Trump weren't there, would have been three of Hillary Clinton's justices. Hopefully, now, instead of me saying along with Sir Thomas More, that I show you the times, perhaps today we can say we are slowing down the times. Maybe the best we can do, but it's a good start. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. They have intel that you will want. They have in their crosshairs concern about economic flattening, economic flattening of historic proportions, and that it will commence this year. Time is of the essence to protect your investment. Call Midas Gold Group to find out what they're analyzed and what they put together. They have the intel, they have the experience, they have it all. MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or give them a call at 480-360-3000. Tell them Seth sent you. Um, This is uh, interesting as the January 6th uh, hearings continue having to do with, I guess, you might consider it right-wing violence. I say you, I guess, and you might because... It's been considered a lot of different kinds of violence, depending on who you listen to. For a while, Joe Biden was calling it white, uh, an attack of white supremacy. Hard to hard to substantiate that when one of the evidently uh, leading um, rioters, at least based on the Department of Justice indictments, one of the leaders of the group's Proud Boys is um, is uh, Afro-Cuban. I, I, I don't know how you can have white supremacists, but it's been called a lot of things. As they're going through right-wing violence, it might not be entirely unfair for us to ask the mainstream media to cover some of the left-wing violence that's happened, that's happening at a larger scale, and that is being threatened in our midst, in our midst. The London Independent, by the way, isn't it interesting? You have to go to a British paper to find the story. The London Independent writes, the militant abortion rights organization Jane's Revenge appears to be calling for a night of rage in the nation's capital should the Supreme Court, as is expected, overturn Roe versus Wade, which could happen any day now. Interesting, isn't it? When's the last time you saw a mainstream American news outlet, a commercial American news outlet, cover this story? The only one I found is the Wall Street Journal in an editorial by one of its deputy editors. Let me give it to you. This, I think, is an important damned story. Luke Cirillo got a call from police in the wee hours of June 10th. Someone threw an incendiary device through one of the windows, which lit a significant fire in the back room, says the CEO of First Image, which runs three crisis pregnancy centers in Portland, Oregon. The room was destroyed and the center closed. It was the second attack at a First Image facility in as many months. On May 5th, vandals shattered windows and spray-painted FCPCs, which are crisis pregnancy centers. They painted that, they spray-painted that, on the walls of the First Image facility then in southeast Portland. First Image established in 1984 is one of dozens of pro-life pregnancy centers and churches vandalized or attacked in Dobbs versus Jackson women of the Samuel Alito draft opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, a nonprofit advocacy group, issued a report last week detailing more than 40 Incidents of violence, vandalism, and intimidation since that leak. 40. A Compass Care Pregnancy Center in Buffalo, New York, was firebombed on June 7th. Photos Compass Care posted on Facebook show shattered windows and charred interiors. CEO Jim Harden says the damage will cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to repair. Also at the scene, quote, Jane was here, close quote, scrawled in cursive on the side of the building. On June 14th, communique signed 
Jane's Revenge and posted to Abolition Media appeared to take credit for many of the price of the pregnancy center attacks. We are not one group but many, said the missive, adding that you have seen us in Buffalo, Gresham, Portland, and 13 other cities where pregnancy centers have been attacked in recent weeks. The Federal Bureau of Investigation told the Washington Examiner on Thursday that it is investigating the attacks. While the violent fringe throw firebombs, the mainstream abortion movement has waged legal war on pregnancy centers, most famously in California, which ordered them to post information on how clients could obtain abortions. That case went all the way to the Supreme Court, which ruled five to four in favor of the pregnancy centers in a case called Nifla versus Becerra. More legal battles are sure to come. New York Governor Kathy Hochul signed a bill last week authorizing the state health commissioner to investigate the impact of these centers on women's access to reproductive and sexual health care centers. A Connecticut pregnancy center is suing over a state deceptive advertising law that targets these centers. All this belies, undercuts the abortion rights movement's characterization of itself as pro-choice. No woman is forced to go to any of these clinics where more than 10,000 licensed medical professionals worked or volunteered as of 2019. In addition to providing ultrasounds and pregnancy tests, the centers help women get supplies and counseling. However, however, we still have none of them speaking out against Jane's revenge. However organized Jane's revenge may be, the threats and attacks in its name are real. For the allies of ours who doubt the authenticity of the communiques and actions, there's a way you can get irrefutable proof that these actions are real. Go do one of your own, says a June 14th message. Everyone with the urge to paint, to burn, to cut, to jam, now is your time. That's what one of the flyers says. A handbill posted in Washington, D.C. last week, ostensibly from Jane's Revenge, promises a, quote-unquote, night of rage. SCOTUS overturns Roe versus Wade. To our oppressors, if abortions aren't safe, you're not either, close quote. That's what reads the flyer being posted throughout Capitol Hill. Mr. Cirillo says the threats are a concern, but not one that daunts us all in the work that we do. Mr. Hardin, emphasizing his organization's Christian mission, says Compass Care is not going to stop offering services. We do what we do because of what we believe, including that everyone is made in the image of God. We even value the lives of those who firebombed our facility. Well, that's awfully generous and awfully Christian of a perspective. I have a different one. I have a different one. While that is going on, will the media please cover these very real live threats against not only justices, but fellow Americans? Right now, there are massive protests in front of the Supreme Court. And fencing is having to go up to protect it. I don't know why these threats, credible as they are because of the past 40 to 50 actions that they've taken, are being ignored. While January 6th is talking about something long ago past. No idea. Except you and I both know why that is. We actually do have the idea. It's called regime or opinion principle hierarchy. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-5080-960. Be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our culture and economy update is given to us by John Dombrowski, Jr. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. Grand Canyon Planning dot com is his website. He has a radio show, The Word on Wealth, heard right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. He turns the world on with a smile. John, how are you, sir? <laughs> there, yes. there are so many people out there that tell me, oh, my God, Seth's laugh. I just love it. Well, I love yours. And uh, you turn the world on with a smile. I want to ask you. you something about Social Security in just a moment, sure. John. We kind of were talking a little bit about it yesterday. The markets were open today. They weren't yesterday. They seem to be doing well. Explain this one to me. There's a headline at the Wall Street Journal, Dow S&P rally as investors return to riskier assets. What what do they mean, riskier assets? Well, okay, again, if we're looking at a balanced portfolio, we look at stocks versus bonds. And bonds seem to be uh, what have been known to be anyway as the safety of the portfolio. Uh, But in recent uh, you know, months, we've seen bond values also being deteriorated as interest rates increase. We've talked a little bit about the relationship of interest rates to bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the thinking is that, okay, so people are now moving out of bonds, moving out of cash and putting their money back into stocks, which is where uh, risk on or risk off is kind of the expression. Uh, Buying stocks, risk on. Selling stocks, putting it into bonds, risk off. I see. Okay. And but, and a little less off, I suppose, given the inflationary situation we're in, right? A little yes. less off. Uh, yes. And, but what I've what I've you know seen in our own portfolios and some of the you know, things that we've done have have been to start to move out of some of the bond positions into some other areas of the markets or even into cash. Uh huh. Um, you know, just because of the the effect that interest rates are having on bonds, so uh-huh. we we we're losing value in bonds and stocks at yeah. the same time as the market has been uh-huh. falling and rates have been rising. Uh-huh. Well, that actually is a pretty good transition or segue to what I wanted to ask you about with regard to uh, cost of living estimates and Social mm-hmm. Security, oh, yeah. right? Okay. Yes. Yeah, because they're setting it at what eight point six percent for twenty twenty three. But is that is that enough to deal with the inflation? Is that enough to deal with also the inflationary problem we're facing? Well, you know, I don't know. This is based on data from the Senior Citizens League, and they're estimating the Social Security cost of living adjustment for 2023 could be as high as 8.6 percent. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean that's going to be that, but that's they're saying it could be as high as that based on you know what they're seeing, and we also see 5.9 percent as you know for 2022. Uh, but if I go back to the history of Social Security, we would have to go all the way back to 1981 again yeah. uh, to see that level of an increase uh, of the cost of living adjustment in Social Security. And actually, in 1980 was the highest of record if you're going back at least to 75, which is 14.3 percent, Seth, in 1980. What a wow. number. Wow. is right. Wow is 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 the 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 other reason for wow is how much of this is going back and looking so much like the late seventies early eighties so much of this is it's so odd how it's it's just so odd to me how how much this economic history is seeming to repeat, repeat. itself. There's one diff, big difference yeah. right now, at least at the moment, yeah. is interest rates are at, at these still at these low levels compared to where they were back in 1980. Fair enough. The interest rates. Now, that obviously is is changing what piecemeal? I mean, how how lo- how long are we solid with the latest uptick? What was it a third uh, 75% of a point or something yeah, like that? Yeah, 75 basis points. Right. Uh, that's correct. So, how long do we have that before it's revisited or could that come any time? 
Well, I, it would it would be a long time before we get back to the fifteen percent rates. You know, you think about what mortgage rates were fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent. We're nowhere CD near rates. that. Okay. We're nowhere near that. Okay. So that's a big, and also we have a very uh, high employment number at the moment. Right. So again, there's a couple of key factors that could uh, help us, you know, soften the landing of this this uh, challenge we're faced right now. Fantastic, John. Thank yep. you so much, sir. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. And of course, check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. You can request an appointment right there. And you can request that he put up another picture of me and Dagny, too. <laughs> We could. <laughs> you could. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. John Dabrowski, thank you. Godspeed. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Y. Refi. If you're looking for a great investment opportunity, Y Refi is offering a fixed no load interest rate up to ten and a quarter percent for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. They're in the business of helping people dig out of debt by doing it the right way, actually paying off their debts, doing it responsibly. Y Refi is a due diligence approved firm. As I say, it's run by really great people. Check them out yourselves. Go to investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. Tell them I sent you. I, um, I was just thinking about some of that interview with John Dombrowski a few moments ago on inflation, and you kind of get a sense of what the Fed is trying to do. What's the Democratic Party trying to do? Well, over at Issues and Insights, did you know about this? Uh, Nancy Pelosi sat on the floor of the House of Representatives in defending their bill, the Lower Food and Fuel Costs Act. Today, the Democratic House takes a strong step to bring down crucial kitchen table costs of the pump and grocery store across the board. They write that Pelosi's garbled syntax aside, the only thing this bill would lower is the public's trust in anything Democrats have to say these days. Despite its title, Lower Food and Fuel Cost Act, this bill would expand government but do nothing, repeat, nothing to lower prices today, tomorrow, or really any time in the future. Among the Democrats' brilliant inflation-fighting ideas is to create a new meat police to harass the meat industry. Another is to expand a subsidy program for farmers that has already proved ineffective in keeping food prices from skyrocketing. Finally, it would expand the use of ethanol, a plan that even President Joe Biden admits will fail to lower fuel prices. Biden loves to blame high food prices on the supposed lack of competition among meat packers. This is a favorite Democratic tactic whenever the price of something goes up. If oil prices soar, they accuse big oil of conspiring to rip off consumers. Now it's evidently big meat. Never mind that there's no evidence of any industry collusion on prices. If they were able to collude, why wait until now? Up until the COVID fiascos, beef prices had tracked overall inflation for decades. There's the fact that creating a new special in investigator with sweeping authority to sue the industry for alleged anti-competitive behavior without any evidence is hardly going to affect prices at all, except maybe increase them. If anything, 
because it will raise the heavy foot of the price of dealing with the heavy foot of government on what is today a basically functioning market. The bill also claims to lower food costs by encouraging farmers to adopt precision farming techniques that would lower their reliance on fertilizer, the cost of which has also spiked. Here's how Democrats on the House Ag Committee described this, quote, expanding access to precision agriculture has the potential to reduce fertilizer use and lower costs while also providing resource benefits, including clean water and reduced carbon use. It is also a priority to help deal with the water shortages facing growers in much of the Western United States, close quote. But this program has been around for 26 years And Washington has already dumped more than $25 billion into these subsidies. What effect has all of that subvention on food price inflation had for some of us or any of us or all of us today? Go to your nearby grocery store or butcher for the answer. The idea that expanding this program slightly will miraculously bring down food prices in the nearest of futures, let alone any time in the distant future, is ludicrous. Besides, farmers have built-in incentive to improve the efficiency of their operations without needing government loan programs. So what about the plans to expand ethanol use? The Democrats say that letting retailers sell so-called E15 gas year-round will cut pump prices because ethanol is cheaper per gallon than conventional gasoline. The reason E15, which is comprised of 50% ethanol instead of the 10%, isn't sold in the summer is that it aggravates smog. But an analysis by McKinsey concluded that this would have almost no impact, mainly because E15 is sold at, get it, Fewer than 2% of gas stations around the country accounts for less than 1% of gasoline sold. And letting it be used year-round would result in a tiny increase in annual ethanol production, one-tenth of a percent, because E15 requires specialized equipment. Not to mention the fact that most consumers would avoid it for fear of wrecking their car engines. Hold on to that thought. Democrats know this is the case, which is why the best justification they come up with is that letting E15 be sold year-round would encourage and incentivize businesses that may have been reluctant to expand capital for biofuel infrastructure. That's gobbledygook so uh, to mean encouraging businesses to spend more time retooling and retrofitting and manufacturing new equipment. How is that going to dampen inflation? Biden doesn't believe this will make any difference either, by the way. The Washington Post reported last week that while talking up E15 as a money saver in public, privately, Biden dismissed the policy as ineffective and worried that it exaggerated ethanol's ability to cut gas prices and could harm ultimate carbon emission climate goals. There's also the inconvenient truth that encouraging farmers to turn more corn into fuel will leave less corn for food and, of course, cattle, pushing up grocery and meat prices yet again. So even if consumers did see gasoline prices fall, they'd pay for it in higher food prices. The Democrats' bill does have one thing in its favor. 
it makes it clear that the only way to change the direction of economic policy coming out of Washington is change the leadership in Washington. This is such an important point. I know it sounds simple, but it is such an important point that this is where I want us to focus our attention and rally. Okay? For almost every massive problem that we are facing right now, whether it's the border, whether it's crime, you name it, whether it's drugs, you name it, almost every major problem is indeed a political slash policy problem. You don't want what's going on at the border. It's really a problem of politics. It's the problem that you have an administration in Washington controlling not only the White House but also the House and Senate that believes that the border should be just about where it is. The administration believes that. You don't like it. There's not a lot you can do. There is not a lot you can do outside of changing the political leadership. Same with drugs. Same with crime. Not necessarily a federal issue, but certainly when it comes to looking at the cities where the crime has risen the most, it is a political issue when it comes to who we're voting for when it comes to governor, when it comes to sheriff, when it comes to county or district attorney, when it comes to mayor, when it comes to city council. These are problems of politics. Roll up your sleeves. Continue to roll them up. Pull up your socks. Continue to pull them up. Get busy and change the political leadership. Once you change the political leadership, you might begin to change the political landscape. You change the political landscape by changing the policies. You change the policies and you show Americans what can be done. How we live is not how we must live. And it's a political question. Their fruits and veggies, I take them every single day. Hit another PR today, Bill, on the bike, by the way. I love Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies. Thank you for that, sir. I love them. All natural, potent, powerful, everything from garlic and cayenne pepper, you name it, uh, to uh, mangoes and papayas and cherries. One daily dose gives you a blend of 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables. You can take it every day as well to boost your energy, your immunity, and your health. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. This will probably get buried in other news, but it's both sick and sad. There was a hearing today on the Uvalde shooting where uh, Steve McGraw, he's that director of public safety in Texas, where he was testifying to some of the things that were taking place before the Uvalde shooting. Yes, you'll read today about what was taking place with police on the day of and the locks on the door and not being locked and all that. Failure after failure after failure and made the arrest in, in, the, in, the, in the crucible of the crisis. But how about before the shooting began? Several times, he says, we had one teacher who said she was always worried about This young man, McGraw said, he was the one student who scared the teacher the most. We discussed, as I mentioned earlier, last year, he started dressing like a school shooter, started acting like a school shooter. Get this. Witness after witness after witness spoke to him, McGraw, after the fact, and said, yeah, we were worried about him. Especially that time he was walking around 
in public carrying a bag of dead cats. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And none of this ever reported to the police. None of this. You know, I have said again and again, and you know it, and it's not brain surgery, that most school shootings share one thing in common, which is, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad and awful and tragic. But if you want to do something, it's good news because you know you can actually do something to prevent these things. But almost every time a child or a young adult takes the lives of others in his own hands, others knew or were informed or had an inkling that something like this would come and from that individual. The uh, the what would you call him? The incubating assailant had flashing red lights and sounded sirens from his mouth and his eyes and his head and his hands and his actions, his behavior and his social media every single time. You have teachers saying they're worried about a school shooting and they were worried it would come from that kid. This kid is dressing like a school shooter. This kid is walking around with a bag of dead cats. What the hell? Never gets reported? Regrettable in so many ways because preventable in so many ways. You don't have to take away legal instruments from law-abiding citizens. You just have to deal with these issues and the illegal actions of non-law-abiding citizens. And you can stop so much of this. Law matters. So does common sense. Put them together and you can stop these things. I'm Seth. Don't go away. Wilford Riley coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.